Bonjour, ni hao. Como estas? This is John James and welcome to Champagne Strategy. This is a red pill business podcast which deconstructs world-class strategy focusing on growth, marketing and sales with just a sprinkling of tech and champagne. So it's my job to find the best people in the world and convince them to be interviewed for the benefit of all. Listen to this episode if you dare, but you've been warned, there's no going back. So just before we get into today's episode, I just want to give a shout out to some of my friends, Yaniv and Chris, who also have another podcast called The Startup Podcast. What I really enjoyed about it is just like my podcast, they've been there, done that. They've both been working in multiple countries around the world. You've worked for Google, small startups, billion dollar unicorns. So if you're in the startup game, scale up game or the tech industry, and you want to cut through all the folly that everyone talks about, I highly recommend you give a listen to one of the episodes. I've been listening to a couple of those episodes and some of them are just really really hit home some of the things that I was thinking in the back of my head. You know, without experience in those areas, you can be told lots of different things, lots of different people. So if you have a chance, just Google and search for Chris and Yaniv, Y-A-N-I-V, and their podcast, The Startup Podcast. So today we're talking to John Dwyer. I met him at a recent networking event and some of the stories he tells are really interesting. He's been through the old school days of agency, marketing agency land, all the way through today where he's selling online travel. But today we're talking to him about some of the most popular marketing initiatives he's ever done, which would fall into the category loosely of sales promotion or incentive-based marketing or whatever you want to call it. These are these direct response style events or incentives that get people to act. And this is where a lot of the brand crowd in the marketing industry fall apart, is that final piece, getting people to actually do something at the end of the day. Very easy to just talk about brand and you know look at some reach figures, but are you actually affecting human behavior? And I think sales promotions, and we'll discuss this in a minute, get a really bad rap because the brand crowd really don't like this area because they view it as you know discounty or salesy or a bit grubby. But as you'll find out, the devil is in the detail. And there's a really easy way to make sure that these work really well without devaluing your brand or your product or service. And you'll get to hear the story of how he convinced Jerry Seinfeld to be a spokesperson on one of his ads. And this ended up being a billion dollar plus sales initiative for a small challenger brand at the time. So he'll tell the full story in here as well. But there's some just really other good ideas. And this really changed my thinking because I think in um, product strategy, we tend to forget maybe putting some of these like little Happy Meal toys into our package and selling it as in a complete offering. It's a really easy way to do some product differentiation that works. So without further ado, Ladies and gentlemen, John Dwyer. Welcome to the show, John. It's the, between the two Johns here today. So um, welcome. Uh, how are you doing? My pleasure, mate. Yeah, it's the two Johns, isn't it? You don't get that very often. Oh, what do you got there? Uh, well, I tried to get the one you, you got, but it's a bit different. But we're drinking sparkling today, as is uh, customary on the show. Somewhat mandatory, unless, you know, you don't drink. Why don't you tell me? What did, what did you uh, open already? What have I opened already? I've opened up uh, this one here, by the way. Where is it? There, there you go. Okay, that's... Uh, ah, Chandelier. And uh, I've, got, I've got this happening already with, uh, with this, all right? So therefore... Okay, I'm going to open mine. Oh, yeah, look, Shandon, um, that's a domestic sort of version of um, actually owned, I think, partially, if not fully, by Moet Shandon, the biggest sort of company in the world, which is owned by Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy Group. Uh, really? So it's one of their brands. Yeah, so the Salvador experience, and they do this in, in multiple countries as well. They have one in California. and So therefore, I guess, I guess the most important thing about this, John, is I want to know, 
uh, because when you warned me that we were doing this, I ran out to where we've got our bottles of wine and what have you, and I just grabbed anything. Uh, and so therefore, at least this makes me look a little upmarket, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I, I, mean, I can talk about it. They use the proper French method of method traditional. Does it say that? Method traditional on the, on the label? Yeah, yes. it's where you put extra yeast in. After, so you make still wine and you blend it everything. Then you put a bit of extra yeast and sugar in, and it then ferments and creates a natural bubble effect. So the cheaper champagnes or sparklings will will just be aspirated with carbon dioxide, just like a you know soda fountain. Yeah. Um, but method traditional means it must be secondary ferment inside the bottle. And then that sort of dead yeast is removed, that sort of cloudy silt, by tipping it upside down, putting it in freezing water and taking out a little ice cube. Uh, and then what's left is clear bubbly juice. So they recork it and bang, it goes and ages for You know, you have time made me feel so inadequate because when I go to Dan Murphy's, I buy by the label. I look at the label and think, well, that looks good. I'll give that a shot. That's all marketing, right? Oh, there. <laughs> Isn't it funny, you know, I'm a marketer and I'm advising businesses uh, throughout my career how to market. And I reckon marketers and salesmen are the easiest people to sell to. They are. They are, actually, because they just understand that it's just easier to go with (laughs) the big things. (laughs) But, you know, the thing is, John, I've got to say this to you. It's funny that we should kick off the whole thing. I know it's the theme of your podcast, but we're kicking off the whole thing about alcohol. But I've often said to business owners, if you're looking for a good label, go through Dan Murphy's or go through the actual refrigerator ice cream section of Woolworths because if you have a look at what Cadbury and, you know, what Streets and Peters and all those ice cream companies do, they make that magnum look like it's a million dollars, okay? And likewise, in Dan Murphy's, it's a good education for anyone who's wanting to create a brand. Go through and just spend half a day in Dan Murphy's. It's true. I mean, we talk about this all the time. I think it's underrated. I mean, people talk about the tangible product, which is, you know, the quality of the actual substance of the product. But often you can have a really good quality product. If you don't put the bows and ribbons and make it zhuzh it up a bit, that value proposition will fall apart. And vice versa. Uh, the same is true. Like, you know, it's about expectations, I suppose. Packaging can be a really cheap way to add value. When we were having a bite to eat the other day, um, uh, you know, what I was saying to you, John, is that the thing that freaks me, we were at a beautiful Italian uh, cafe come restaurant in Brisbane and, and you and I, because we're coffee snobs, uh, you know, enjoy that sort of environment. I'm sure we're not the only ones. The thing that freaks me out is when a coffee shop opens and they've got canary yellow tables and fire engine red chairs. I just go, oh my God, what were you smoking? Oh, something something on fire, maybe. <laughs> they got inspiration from the end of the uh, cigarette or whatever. It's just incredible, <laughs> but isn't it? That, you know, like we know, I mean, my view when I say to people, you know, coffee shops, being a bit of a coffee snob, I said, look, if you're going to open up a coffee shop, it's not canary yellow tables and red chairs. I mean, you know, Gloria Jean's got it right with the look and feel. It's just that their coffee's not flash. Starbucks did it pretty well as well, don't they? The interior is mm. like everything there. Mm. I mean, it's something you kind of want to sit down and, and chill out and have a talk with a friend. It's that kind of environment. And then the product is just there to complement that that experience. Yeah, but look, I want to get back on your topic before we do. Um, cheers. Yeah, Thanks cheers, for coming yeah. on the show. You too, likewise. Thanks, Yeah, very nice. So, um... Yeah, the domestic champagnes are, are actually quite good. Technically, I can't call them champagnes in Australia because we we have this agreement with France to of domain of origin. In America, that doesn't apply, which is why the Californians can call some of their domestic sparkling champagne oh, when it's not from the region champagne. Oh, wow. So it's a bit different here. Louis Roderer over there has another uh, domestic brand that I, I went to and visited. It's actually really tasty. But that's not, John, that's not, that's not fair. We let them sell Fosters and they still call it Fosters. I think we should bring in a real. They've got to change yeah, the name. 
And the stolen Bundaberg ginger beer as well, by the way, which is everywhere in California. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a good export, so you know, can't wow. complain about that. But um, yeah, right. look, today I wanted to talk to you about value under the context of sales promotions. Some people call this incentive-based marketing or the packaging or the, the throw in the sort of extra pair of steak knives. Um, but really technically, it's sort of, if we wanted to classify, it comes under one form of sales promotion, which yep. is like a limit, like a, an offer to help the sales process go ahead. That's probably my way of saying it really badly. But over to you what what is sales promotion what is incentive-based marketing if you had to explain to someone really dumb john my thing as you would expect given that we're called the institute of wow it's all about you know creating wow factors and you can create wow factors if you have a direct response mentality to your marketing and uh don't get me wrong people buy things because of brand we buy coca-cola and toyota and we buy bmw because of the brand but a lot of the businesses john that you deal with and and myself uh, are smaller businesses and so therefore they haven't built that mcdonald's or kellogg style brand they're wanting to put food on the table next week and so that's where we come into play because we are what you call a direct response advisory service and as the name implies it means you advertise on facebook today and you get a response tomorrow not like brand building which of course means that you might sponsor the olympics or the brisbane broncos or you might put ads on the side of buses or the backs of taxis there's nothing wrong with that it's just that you need a deep pocket. Uh, whereas a lot of the businesses that I deal with want to put a campaign out today on Facebook, and Instagram and get the phone during tomorrow. And you know what, John, it's really simple. We discussed it the other day when we we're having a bite to eat. It's all about problem solution marketing. Um, and the five components, if anyone's, you know, you've got a pen handy, they might like to write this down. <laughs> Sound like a school teacher. But anyway, um, the five components are highlight someone's problem. Uh, the second one is uh, aggravate that problem. Third one is give them the solution. The fourth one is provide them with you know proof. And the fifth one is a call to action. And if I was to use Jenny Craig as an example, highlight the problem. Are you overweight and not feeling well? You know. Number two, aggravate the problem. Do you know that summer's around the corner? Do you want to look good in a swimsuit? Number three, provide the solution. Join my dietary program and you'll look like a supermodel in four weeks. Number four, you show the before and after shots so that, you know, the lady does look like a supermodel four weeks down. And then number five, call to action, go to jennycraig.com. That's generally the process of what we call direct response marketing. And you know what? Around about 90-something percent of businesses have never used it. Yeah, so why is that, do you think? Is it this um, this brand troop or everybody wanting to work in agencies with big brands they don't want to get down and dirty into the weeds? There's kind of a bit of a split in the industry there because, you know, in my, my some of my circles, you get these, these brand marketers who, you know, think they know how to sell because they only deal with larger brands where all this kind of stuff is set up yeah. and they're riding on the coattails of someone else's brand equity when, you know, starting a business from scratch is a very different mentality. You're, as you said, putting food on the table. Um, it's either going to work and produce revenue or it doesn't. You're spot on, John, spot on. Uh, and look, I've been involved with the big agencies and they're looking after clients like McDonald's or back in the day, Blockbuster Video or 7-Eleven or Toyota or BMW. And so therefore they've got big budgets and they can afford to sponsor the Olympics and do all that sort of stuff to build their brand. And again, I think I brought this up the other day, 96% of businesses in America, Australia and the UK are doing less than a million dollars turnover, 96%. And so therefore that tends to be our market. We have a few businesses that are doing two, three, five, 10 million, uh, some doing 20 million, but there's a lot of businesses who need help that are doing half a million turnover to you know, a million and they can't afford to sponsor a rugby league team or an AFL team. What they want is direct response. They don't fall into that category that ad agencies do. Ad agencies think that direct response, because they see it on you know, morning TV with Kerry Ann Kennelly, is down and dirty. They place it into a category that, oh, that's dirty, we can't do that. It doesn't have to be dirty. The Versace on the Gold Coast, the Palazzo Versace, which is like a six or seven star hotel, very, very upmarket. 
when winter comes and they want to attract people from south, Sydney and Melbourne, they basically put on special pricing deals. In other words, they discount. My view is that that is hurting their brand. What they should do throughout the winter, because the Gold Coast happens to be warmer, is invite people from Sydney and Melbourne to come up, but pick them up at the airport with their stretched lino or their Rolls Royce, because they have them. They're sitting in front of the hotel, for goodness sake, and then give them theme park tickets for the weekend. It would cost them a lot less than you know going with a half-price special, and it would protect their brand. So it's direct response, but it's done very classy. This is one of some, something I want to talk to you about. I, I think sometimes the division between these two camps, if we had to, you know, use a sort of dichotomic sort of view of this, is that direct response is sales promotion, it's discounting, it's dirty. We know that if you get caught in this cycle, it's going to devalue your brand. You know, brand is everything. Brand, 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 blah, 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 blah. In my experience, and from what I've heard you talk about, there's a lot of nuance in the way you execute this, which can either devalue or preserve value in the brand. I know you mentioned it before. So tell me, what is the bad case scenario of, of using this, this channel sales promotion and what's the best way to use it so you don't devalue your brand? I'll start with the best way because I've got a little prop here and I thought I'd show it to the camera. This is the Greater Building Society uh, brochure that came out uh, when we ran Get a Home Loan, Get a Free Holiday. And throughout that particular brochure, there were lots and lots and lots of hotels here that they could choose to go on their holiday. And let me explain to you how that came about. The Greater Building Society is the 250th biggest business in Australia, so they're no slouches. Uh, they're not as big as the Combank or ANZ or Westpac, but nonetheless, they're 252, I think, in Australia in terms of the size of the business. And I was a consultant with them for quite a time, and uh, when I first got on board, in the first month, I could see that they were never going to increase their market share if they continued to do what the banks did. In other words, price discount. They were they would say, look, uh, get a home loan from us at 4.2% at the time, and then the banks would just go, well, we'll go 4.1%. And I said to them, you're like a hardware store next to Bunnings. You're not going to beat the big banks, okay? They will always beat you. So as a challenger brand, which is what most people who I'm sure, you know, watching this podcast are, as a challenger brand, you've got to do stuff differently. And they said, well, smart Alec, what do we do? And I'd been doing some infomercials on Channel 10 with a discount travel company. So I introduced them and basically they could get a $5,000 holiday for two and a half, right? And so that's what we did. I said, look, stop the discounting. In other words, give up your 1% honeymoon rate, which every bank was doing. There's nothing different about that and devote that to the travel company and they'll give you a holiday worth double that. And that's what they did. So they came out with a campaign and launched and just said, look, swap your home loan from the banks to us and we'll give you a free holiday. And that's sort of what it looked like. They were a Harvey Norman sort of brand persona, which is why you'll see there's some hot oranges and blues there. So it's not David Jones, but it's all about message to market match. A building society and a credit union tends to attract working class people. So if we made that look like the Versace, they would have just walked away, okay? They doubled their home loans in 12 months. They tripled their home loans in 18 months. We're talking billions, not millions. And the idiot who you're talking to, John, didn't do a door deal. I charged a consultancy fee. <laughs> oof, oof. Well, I mean, you didn't know if it was going to be that popular and, and no. work that much, did you? But, no, yeah. no, I didn't. I, I, if, if I'd known that it was going to be that popular and I, I got 1% of 1% of 1%, I would have bought Fiji, I think. I wouldn't have gone there. But anyway, as it turns out, I did okay. They paid a decent uh, consultancy fee and they did very well. Now, that is message to market match. That is doing a sales promotion that absolutely uh, matches the brand, which is a working class brand, Harvey Normanish, if you like. And we made sure that when we did the commercials, because it was too good to be true, swap your home line and get a free holiday, we backed that up with real people testimonials. And it's a tip for anyone who's listening to this, for goodness sake, if you've got something that's even close to being too good to be true, 
then make sure that you handle objections by having people come on, whether these days at YouTube or, you know, whatever it may be, Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever, and they're saying, look, I got this. It's true. And so that's what we did. All the television advertising and Facebook and so forth was full of testimonials of people saying, I swapped from the nasty bank and it was one of the big four. They didn't say who they were, of course. And we came across to the greater and we got a free holiday. We went to Fiji or went to Hawaii and bang, it just takes the, uh, the uptake, you know, north. That's the right way to do it. The wrong way to do it is if the Versace uh, decided that they would uh, give away, for argument's sake, um, uh, microwave ovens uh, or they'd give away really silly things to get people to stay at the hotel. That would not be a good message to market match. What the Versace should do is pick you up at the airport in a Rolls Royce and then take you to the Versace hotel and give you uh, theme park tickets or perhaps tickets to the show at the casino on the Gold Coast. So therefore... Everything that you do should be message to market match. Yeah, well, exactly. I think um, this is coming back to the offer because, um, you know, what I teach clients as well is, um, you know, everyone thinks about the tangible product, the most obvious parts of the product. And then sometimes you need to, we talked about packaging, you need to bunch it up with other things that turn it into an offer that's attractive. And that can be lots of different components. Could be everything from a guarantee to like an inclusion, like we're talking about now, to, I don't know, like just the positioned in the right way, the same thing, but just pitched in a different way that really resonates with that segment, for example. So, um, I always talk broadly about the offer, but if you're doing an offer, um, that has to match. So, you know, we're talking about the incentive here um, that has to match uh, and be, you know, on brand or aligned with that. How do you go about researching that? Is that just something that you would talk to people or use your own intuition? And uh, John, a very good question. And I'm being a bit sarcastic with this answer, but really it comes down to common sense. I mean, you would not have a, a rugby league or AFL football giveaway in the middle of summer. It's as simple as that a lot of the times. I must say that if you can give away something as an incentive, we're talking about incentive-based market. So when I went through those five components of what we call direct response model, which is problem, aggravate problem, provide uh, uh, the solution, give proof, and then a call to action, that call to action, which you and I, because we're in this game, we go CTA, call to action, that's where most of them fall down. Uh, you know, anyone who, I've seen a lot of these direct response uh, agencies do pretty well with the first part, which is, you know, highlight the problem to someone and then provide them with the solution. But where they fall down, they don't have a strong call to action. Uh, they just basically still offer a silly discount, like 10 or 20%, which takes their brand from the, you know. Basement. Buy one, get one free, yeah. which is marginally better or? Well, it yeah. is, and you know, like it, seriously, the discount stuff takes your brand from the penthouse to the shithouse without taking the elevator. So you no, know, whoever wants to go down that path really needs to have a good look at themselves because it's not sustainable. You can't do it every day. Big W can and Kmart can and Walmart can, but you can't. So why go down a path of price discounting, except maybe once or twice a year you want to you know, get rid of the stuff in the warehouse. But aside from that, why would you make that your first port of call? What your first port of call should be is, in my view, incentive-based marketing. Because if you get it right, as McDonald's did with the Happy Meal toy, you can get four decades out of it. You had some really good examples because I listened to some of your previous podcasts about this. There's a turf company that really knew their market. McDonald's, we just mentioned the Happy Meal toy. They know the kids. They know there's some kind of like topical toy. Then generally they're sort of using toys now that are like somewhat current in the sort of broader social discourse so like you know where it's a marvel movie that's about to release i'll create a marvel toy you know so it creates this sort of currency what are some really good examples you talked about the building society free holiday um you forgot to mention the key thing as well about that run me through some really cool examples of things you've done and why was it successful yeah mate look uh, there was a client uh, i'm on the gold coast i live in the gold coast on the base of the tambourine mountains and there happened to be a client who came on board my consultancy program at one stage lovely guy john Kelleher. 
And he owns a business called ALC Turf. And uh, as it turned out, because he's halfway up the mountain range, which was only 20 minutes from me, I said, look, I'll call in and have a chat to you. So he said, look, we've got to move a lot of turf. And when I got there, I said to him, how much turf have you got to move? And uh, there was mountain ranges to the right and mountain ranges to the left. And he said, look to your right as far as you can see and look to your left as far as you can see. I've got six kilometres of grass I've got to get rid of because I've got to get it out of here and then replant for the next season. Okay, that's almost it. three miles, three. Yeah, pretty oh, much. Oh, less than that. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. three miles, of course, I'm talking kilometres, but anyone who might yeah. be in the States, yeah, three miles. And so, therefore, I said to him, okay, he said, look, I've seen that thing on TV of yours with the building society where it's get a, you know, get a homeowner, get a free vacation. Um, and so, therefore, can you can we do something like that for you? I said, well, I don't think you've got the margin in $5 a square metre or square yards or whatever it might be to do that. But let me ask you, who's your target audience? And he said, well, it's not mum and dad's because they might just get the front yards worth of grass. He said, it's landscapers who will get two homes or three homes worth of grass at a time. I said, okay, well, what do you think would be a good lure to get them to take notice of you uh, compared to anyone else? Because, John, you know, mate, look, grass is grass. It's like the building society handing out half a million dollar loan. There's no difference from getting it from one bank to another bank. And likewise, grass, no difference from getting it from one turf farm to the next. I, I believe Cadbury chocolate tastes better than any other chocolate. But in the instance of grass, it's the same damn grass, you know. <laughs> so anyway, he said to me, well, landscapers, you tell me what they'd like. I said, I'll tell you what they like. I mean, 98% of them, 99% of them are men. It'll be beer. And they're used to drinking just a normal working class beer. Why don't we take it up a level and give them a carton of Crown Lager, which is the very prestigious beer, for every 500 square metres of uh, turf. In other words, a you know, normal house front and backyard. And he went... Do you think that would work? I said, I think it's got half a chance. So anyway, he rented a, a database of about 500 landscapers throughout Brisbane and the Gold Coast. And because landscapers are not really tech savvy, we sent out a mailer. So therefore, and also an email, but nonetheless, we sent out a direct mail piece. He rings me up six days after we sent this uh, leaflet out, which said, for every home's worth of grass, we'll give you a carton of Crown Lager, because we know you can get your grass from anywhere. Uh, and uh, he was sick of price discounting because what landscapers would do, John, before I tell you the result of this campaign, which is quite stunning, landscapers would ring up and say, how much for a square metre of grass as for, let's say, some water, which is a brand name grass? And he'd go, oh, $6. They'd go, oh, we can get it across the road at the other turf farm for $5.50. He'd have to go $5.20 and it was a race to the bottom. Yep. He said, uh, he rings me up six days after the campaign went out and said, uh, John, I got a problem. I said, what? What do you mean? He said, we've got no more grass. <laughs> I said, what? You just moved three miles worth of grass? He said, yeah, in six days. He said, we had landscapers who were the biggest pain in the back, you know, earlier, who were ringing up saying, I want 18 homes worth of grass. I don't care about when the grass gets here. I've got a party on Friday. I need the 18 cartons of beer. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so that's just knowing your target market, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he said, it's the Happy Meal toy overtaking the damn product, of course, but he didn't care. He just moved all of his grass. Uh, I've got a testimonial from him, John. It's a pity we can't play it here, but uh, he's just such a lovely guy. And of course, you and I, John, when we're in the advisory business, if you get like a stunning result like that, you jump in your car with your phone to take a testimonial like straight away. And uh, so I did. And he looks down the barrel of the camera. It was just a classic testimony. He said, yeah, look, this has been the most stunning thing I've ever. He said, we're actually buying turf from other turf farms ourselves just to keep up the demand for the beer. <laughs> and making a margin on it. 
obviously very successful. I like it. So knowing your target market, finding out what an offer would be, adding it on top and not discounting. The other thing I think that's lost in here is this is a B2B transaction as well. So a lot of people think B2C. B2B, obviously, if you're the person making the purchase decision here, um, maybe you are not able to buy or expense certain things in the business. Yeah. So maybe you want something like a carton of beer, but you're not allowed to buy beer for the business. So like sometimes you can attract them to go with you through some of the other I use this term loosely, but inducements, mm -hmm. illegal in some product categories. Mm -hmm. uh, you got to be careful how you do it, but yeah. uh, it's kind of a bit of a sweetener to the deal that they wouldn't have been able to get otherwise. Do you know what you do there, John? It's really simple because I get that question quite a bit. You know, we, you know, I guess half our clients are B2C, the other half are B2B. Uh, I'm B2B, of course, so are you. Um, I, when they say, look, we're not allowed to do it because of the Articles of Association, you know, you can't meet behind the shelter shed with a, you know, a, a bag of cash and do that anymore. I just say to them, listen, it's very, very simple. Just hold an extraordinary dinner at the Palazzo Versace Hotel uh, or the New York Hilton or wherever it might be and invite your target audience to come to that. I tell you what, you'll get a 90% turn up rate. I heard, uh, I can't say the company, but that's a, it's a very, very, very large enterprise software company. Their whole sales thing is top down. So they, they target the executives and very senior people, and then they wine and dine them. They bring and they pay a lot for someone quite famous in their industry to come out and speak at a private dinner. Yep. You know, maximum 30 people. Every second person is a staff member from the company and all the other people around the table um, are executives from all the, you know, prospective clients. Mm -hmm. uh, so they all come and then they're like, wow, you've got a private dinner. Like everything's top end, you know, top end wine, top end food, top end speaker. And they just have a really cool conversation. They're just like, they don't sell. They just go, let's just have a good night and talk shop. And, um, you know, then it leads on to some after drinks and that kind of thing. And that's how they win all their deals is just taking care of the customer. And then they don't care how much, the thing costs are like, oh, I trust you guys. This is cool. Are we doing this again, you know, next month? I'm like, yeah, yeah sure. Like, come yeah. to the next one. So, well, we do it ourselves, uh, John. I mean, uh, you know, not for the last couple of years because of the pandemic, but, you know, before that, we would hold our, our dinner. So, there's seminars and there's seminars. So, you know, seminars, um, you know, were losing their glitter uh, before COVID. Uh, in other words, there was four million people out there supposedly as mentors, and everyone's having a, you know, one or two day, you know, seminar. And of course, you know, it's a great model because it's sell once to many. You get up and do your song and dance and there might be 50 or 150 or 350 people in the room. Anthony Robbins is you know, the expert at it. And I thought to myself, look, I want a better quality business coming to listen to me, you know, showing, showcasing our services. So how do we do that? We can't get them in the daytime because seriously, they're not going to have time to give up a day's worth of work. So why don't we have a dinner? And we keep it up market tapas. And so therefore it wasn't the full on, you know, three course or five course dinner, but it was very upmarket tapas. It was not just sausage rolls <laughs> with, with ketchup. Um, and we would pick a better location. So we'd pick a better hotel in Sydney or Melbourne or the Gold Coast, wherever it might be. Uh, not a crazy, ridiculous level, but still a nice hotel. It wasn't a scout hall, okay? And we would invite them to come between six and 8.30 for a tapas dinner with JD, John Dwyer, I get JD. Uh, smashed it. It's so easy to feel that. You just say to yourself, okay, what do I want? I want 50 people in there because I know if I've got 50 people in the room, I'm probably going to close 20% of them into my marketing program. And the maths are really, really simple. And I would say to anyone, doesn't matter whether you're selling advisory services like you are, John or me, I don't care whether it's washing machines or dishwashers or what, it doesn't matter what it is, invite, if it's a B2B thing, well, that's silly for me to say dishwashers, that's not B2B. But if it's a B2B transaction, take them on a weekend or 
take them out for an evening. The radio stations have been doing this forever, by the way. I mean, I've been to Kuala Lumpur, Singapore, Vanuatu. Well, the media industry in general, really. I mean, that's kind of what runs the whole ball, doesn't it? So Now, what they get to do, they get away with it now because obviously, you know, the corporate governance came in and you can't take these. They turn it into uh, now uh, not a self-fest, but rather it's a learning convention. And yes. the learning convention, uh, the one I went to in Fiji, which was not long before the COVID thing, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we flew out on the Friday and came back on the Monday. Um, we got there Friday night was drinks. Uh, Saturday morning from nine till twelve was the convention. The rest of the weekend was to yourself. <laughs> That's it. The conventions always or the conference is always somewhere like actually quite attractive, like somewhere you've always wanted to go to or take the family to. What yeah. a coincidence! <laughs> and it's funny. It's funny, John. It's, it's a, um, as you know, and I, I don't do any podcast without showing off about this, but when I did the Greater Building Society thing, around about halfway through the 11 years that they ran the Get a Home Loan, Get a Free Holiday, I got Jerry Seinfeld to do their advertising. And, of course, I, I milked the daylights out of that. Sorry, who's Jerry Seinfeld? <laughs> yeah, okay, good idea. Uh, so, therefore, I've milked the daylights. And this was 10 years ago, so I've been milking it for 10 years. I'll probably milk it for another 10 years. Um, but for three years, I flew backwards and forwards to New York and did all the greater you know, TV commercials with him and uh, got to know him pretty well. And I said to him on one occasion, has he ever been offered like Michael Jackson did and Britney Spears to go to like one of the oil-rich countries and be the superstar? And he said, uh, yes, he'd been asked. And I said, did you take it up as being the chocolate chip cookie attraction for the event? He said, uh, no, I didn't really have to. And of course, when I looked up on Google, his wealth was 800 million. I could imagine he probably didn't have to. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've seen um, this this uh, Melbourne uh, apartment block down in South Sierra. Um, I forget the name, Capital One or something like that. Really big development, like billion dollar development. Lots of sort of Chinese and Malaysian investors in there, I think it was. They flew Charlize Theron out as the the sort of face of the campaign. And wow. and then she, she had to go to the races and she was invited to that. Anyway, they flew out, I think it was like a million dollars or something. Wow. You know, that was, that was the star attraction. You could fraternize with, you know, a movie star. And she was associated with all the, the building materials. Well, so like, let, me, let me tell you this, John. A mate of mine... And he rings me up when I was doing the, the Seinfeld stuff. He says, JD, we've got the, it wasn't Australian Idol, it was the Channel 7 version of it, whatever it was. But it was and he said to me, um, it might be Australia's Got Talent, something like that. He said, listen, uh, we've got Kyle Sanderland and we've got a couple of the other coaches. Listen, you know, you've got the contact with Seinfeld. Is there any chance you could ask him, would he come out to Australia for a weekend just for the grand final? Because he said it would be magnificent. I said, well, what's the, what, you know, what would you offer? He said, you know, offer him half a mil. I said half a mil to come out for the weekend. And you know, oh, right, up, leave it with me. So anyway, I ring up George Shapiro, who's Seinfeld's manager. And I said, mate, any, any interest in this? And he just laughed at me. And <laughs> I said to him, but George, it's half a million bucks. He said, yeah, but Jerry would have to get on a plane and come all the way down to Australia. And I said, right. And so I got back to Hoggy. I said, mate, not a chance, you know. And he goes, okay, make it a mil. So I said, right. I went back and offered the mil and he still laughed at me. <laughs> Because you had you convinced Jerry Seinfeld to come on the ad for this building society to then be the face and the spokesperson for this offer of winning a holiday. And you said he couldn't fly more than 50 miles in his contract. Any engagement, uh, any more than 50 miles um, from where his residence was would incur a Learjet uh, loading fee on the contract, which you would then have to pay for, I'm guessing, uh, which would be you know, 
substantial. Yep. So, so how did that sort of come about? You know, the thing is, I know you've got your own private plan, so this would be of interest to you, uh, of course. You know, yeah. yeah. I'm more of an umbrella um, type, though. Like the Learjet, it's a bit sort of, you know, it's a bit. Look, I've been flying commercial mainstream. lately because my private plan's into service, but you know, we won't go down that path. Yeah. So anyway, what I did is that when we did the deal, like the 15-page contract and this that, and the other, essentially, uh, it said that if Jerry has to travel any more than 50 miles away from home, you've got to give him a Learjet. You know. And so, therefore, uh, that stopped us from bringing him down to Australia uh, because I think when we did the numbers, it was one and a half mil to come down and go back again with the Learjet, all this sort of stuff. So we found a little country town called Cedarhurst, which was uh, very much near the Hamptons, uh, where he lives in New York. And so it was only like 10 miles away from home. So, yeah, so we actually said to him, how about what we do is we pick out an empty delicatessen shop in the... I flew over beforehand, of course, and checked all this out. And uh, there was an empty shop in this middle of this little country town called Cedarhurst, which is like a you know, little Katoomba, I guess. We just shipped over all the Greater Building Society signage and that shop turned into an exact replica because when you're dealing with Seinfeld, eye for detail is paramount. So it was an exact replica of a building society here in Australia. And the gig was that he just stood outside and people were shopping. Obviously, they were extras, but they just walked past and didn't even notice him. But he was doing a stand-up outside the Greater Building Society and no one, no one cared. <laughs> So also, and you were mentioning some other examples of some other sales activation or event-based sales incentives or sales promotions that you've been part of. One was in a shopping center. It was really interesting as well. And just the detail, the execution there, how you sort of gamified that to get people to to potentially win a car. You know, I was talking oh, yes. to obviously Tim as well, who when he tries to get people for his podcast production services, he gives them a free microphone. That's kind of his packaging thing that is a bit of free giveaway and obviously it's you know if you're starting a podcast you need a, a bloody microphone to start it don't you or some good earphones or you know something complimentary to what they're trying to do um yeah. tell me about the car thing as well yeah look that was a good one i remember mentioning that to you the other day and uh, what it was was that the big shopping center in sydney and i won't name which one it was but it was a big westfieldy sort of shopping center it wasn't westfield but it was about that sort of size what we did is that we letterbox delivered around about a hundred thousand plastic keys in the postcodes zip codes around that particular shopping center and they're in a little plastic satchel about the size of your hand and in that satchel was a little leaflet as well and that leaflet said this key might open the bmw motor car at xyz shopping center why don't you bring it in before friday and see if it fits the lock right can you imagine that would burn a hole in your pocket that would just burn a hole in your pocket. We had the keys produced from a, uh, a plastics factory and they were the look and feel of a real key, except they weren't a real key. Of course, they were made of plastic, not metal, because metal would have been wildly expensive. Anyway, uh, I had been doing some promotions with the fast food chains before that, and the normal re- you know, the normal redemption rate of a coupon drop for a McDonald's or for a KFC or for Red Rooster or Pizza Hut, any one of those places, generally speaking, if you dropped out a, a, a sheet with the perforated edges and it gave various discounts if they perforated that little coupon and brought it in, they would get maybe a 2 3 4% redemption on those coupons, and they thought that was fantastic. Guess what? we got 52% of all the keys that went out come back into the shopping center. 52%, like unheard of. uh, That would be unheard of of any direct response campaign probably in the world even today. So 52,000 people out of the 100,000 homeowners brought their key in and lined up for hours to try their key in the lock of the car to see if it would open. And how it worked is that we had X number of keys that would open up the car. We didn't know which ones were going to come in, but there were plenty of keys out there, let's say a couple of hundred, that would open up the car door. And when they opened it, they won an instant prize, but they could then come back to the grand draw on a particular night 
and be one of the 10 or 12 or whatever to actually try and open up the BMW. So it just worked unbelievably well. Um, and I milked that, of course, when you find that you've got a winner. Uh, so therefore, I packaged that together and sold it to shopping centers for the next two or three years. I love that. But also, is there wear out with some of these sales promotions? So like the first time you do it with Jerry Seinfeld, uh, for example, like you can only do it for so long and then perhaps, you know, you have to keep paying him more. Or the key thing, like the, the novelty wears off. Is that one of the downsides? And what are the other sort of cons of doing these kind of promotions? A really good question, John. Um, this one here, however, I keep on boasting about, get a home loan, get a free holiday. That ran for I, I, I haven't seen it. Can you show no, it to me one no, more time? Or? It up a little bit more. <laughs> um, you can see where I'm wanting you to segue to, but anyway, uh, I'm so obvious. Uh, but the, look, that ran for 11 years. Ran for 11 years, but you are absolutely spot on, John, when you say, did it have to be refreshing? Yes, it did. Okay, so hmm. my view is if you walk into McDonald's and you see the menu board, uh, you'll see that throughout the summer months, they will have the Hawaiian burger or they'll have the summer fresh burger. And then uh, after summer, they'll come up with a different theme. So therefore, they've got essentially, it's the same damn hamburger, but the Hawaiian one has a bit of pineapple on it, for God's sake, you know. And they just uh, changed the name. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, it's, 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 it's very cleverly done. What we did with the uh, 11 years, of course, run and get a home and I get a free holiday or free vacation if you're in America. What we did is we spiced it up all the time. So therefore, we would actually say, listen, this month only, if you get a home loan, we're going to send you to Disneyland. You normally wouldn't get enough points to go to Disneyland. You'd only get to Fiji or Hawaii. But this month only, if you get a home loan to the value of X dollars, we will send you to Disneyland with, you know, VIP tickets and the whole thing. Okay. So it's like an iteration of the same sort of yeah. theme. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the other things that um, the brand types and the marketing uh, brand people let go is that it reconditions people to expect a uh, different value. So it puts them in a different sphere and then that can delay or bring forward purchases that would have already occurred. So that's the other objection with this kind of stuff. So playing devil's advocate here, how, how do you sort of handle that in the nuance of the offer? Yep, it made it straightforward. Uh, and, and I'm not being silly here, but we do have a program where we provide businesses with free holidays these days, you know that. And one of the things that it can do for, for example, a gymnasium uh, or for a health and beauty clinic or massage clinic or anyone that has a subscription service. So anyone that says, look, come in and buy a packet of 12 massages or come in and join the gym, uh, but you get a special price if you join for 12 months up front. Now, instead of basically a special price, they can say join for 12 months up front, which means they get $1,000 instead of the first month, you know, $80, then we'll give you a free holiday. And the cash flow bonus that that provides the businesses is incredible. We had a lady in Sydney who has a hypoxia studio, which is a health and wellness studio for women. And uh, she just said to me, this is just a cash flow machine. She said, every time I say, look, book for six months in advance of body contouring and, you know, weight loss and this, that and the other, just book the six month one instead of coming on monthly and I'll give you a free holiday. She said, all of a sudden, 50 grand comes through the door straight away. So it's just the nuance about how you craft the offer, the limited time value, all the details, basically, is what I'm trying to get at, right? Uh, and again, John, you've hit it on the head, mate. The limited time thing uh, is very important because, look, most of us fall into the category of fence sitters, you know, and I'm not much yeah. different. I'm not much different. I mean, you think to yourself, well, I, you know, will I buy that lounge suite or will I buy that dining room table? And you think, well, I'll think about it tomorrow. And it gets pushed off and pushed off. So the very, yeah. very important thing with direct response is to give them either a time limitation, so you've got to get it by Friday, or a quantity, and we've only got five of these. Uh, but in the digital world that we live at, it's very hard to be believable when you say, you know, we're only got a certain quantity. Um, so I would, I would vote that you put a time limitation that whatever the value, sorry, whatever the offer is, 
they've got to get it by Friday at five o'clock or whatever it might be. I'm always thinking back of their head, what's the offer and what would incentivize me to buy right now and make a you know a rash decision? And until you sort of I've got something that's like figured out that's like, yes, I want this, I want to buy it right now. Um, I think you've got work to do almost on your on your offer, right? You got it. You got it. I mean, you know, yeah. Disney are very good at this. I've looked at a lot of the way that they promote the tickets to locals in Disneyland because they don't have too many problems with uh, international tourists. If you go to Los Angeles in from another country, you're going to go to Disneyland. But they've got a, a very sophisticated way of getting locals in California to come to the park. And whatever the deal is, whether it's, you know, get in for $39 instead of $99, whatever it might be, they say that it's available until Friday at five o'clock. And of course, like John Farnham, uh, they say the following week by public demand, I'm coming back to make that offer again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you talked about one of the pros as well of this this channel, um, which was cash flow. You mentioned this before, it's like which is hugely beneficial. You can use that cash up front to then invest in something else, cover your costs, fixed costs, variable costs, all that kind of stuff. To a small business owner or a medium business owner, I mean, or even a big business owner, that is that is hugely valuable. What other pros? Uh, come from this approach? I mean, you mentioned first-party data acquisition, like maybe getting the email address or phone number that you wouldn't have had before and enriching your database. Anything else that we sort of missed out of here as well? well that's, 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 a, that's a good question too, is that, uh, uh, you know, these days, because we concentrate on incentive-based marketing, so we package promotions that where they, you know, they get 50 holidays office and they give them away with the refrigerator or the pool cleaning service or their accountancy practice or whatever it might be. And other things I mentioned to you the other day that, you know, we're about to launch a petrol discount, a gas discount promotion too, and that will be packaged so that people can use that however they want. And there's look, there's, there's dozens of others. But the thing is um, that uh, a lot of people will say, look, I want to build a database and uh, take the holiday promotion, for example, that we have where people get a $1,000 holiday, but they pay us you know, $97 for the holiday. What uh, one client has done with that is that uh, they are a pool slide business. And they said, look, we, you know, how do we use it? I said, well, you should use it as a lead gen because you're selling a pool slide that's worth 1500 to $3,000. What we'll do on Facebook is flush out everybody who's got a pool because obviously you're not going to need a pool slide if you don't. And what we'll say is, how would you like to win a pool slide? This is the Facebook ad. So there's a picture of the pool slide, but there's also a picture of Fiji with palm trees behind it. And it says, how would you like to win a pool slide and a free holiday to Fiji? then simply just enter this contest. So they respond to that Facebook ad, obviously only people with the swimming pool, because they've just glowed in the dark. What you've done there with that strategy, you've just made everyone who's looking at that Facebook ad and responds to it glow in the dark. They want a pool slide. They've got a pool and they'd also like a holiday. He gives one away a week and then the next week, he's getting 1,600 leads every three or four weeks at the moment. Like the guy just can't keep up with it. We had to shut the campaign down for, for a little while because he said, but what he does, and we designed it for him, he actually gives one holiday and one pool slide away a week. But the other 499 entrants that week, he rings on the Monday or his team rings on the Monday and says, look, I've got some bad news. You didn't win the pool slide in the holiday, but guess what? We've got this special deal. If you buy a pool slide, we'll give you the holiday. It's a lead generation tool yeah, nice. from, from heaven, absolutely from heaven. And we do the same thing with across various industries whereby if you've got a sexy enough incentive and you give it away as a prize to you know a contest, uh, those who don't win the contest, can you imagine how excited they are if you ring them up and say, look, you didn't win, but if you now buy my product, I'll give you the damn holiday. Well, I'll reverse the logic here. Imagine if you went to your sales team, I have, you know, 480 people a week that have expressed interest in wanting a pool site. Here's the details. And you didn't tell them anything else where you got them from or anything. I mean, would the sales team go, 
fall over hands and knees to to you know want to call those people like yes so yeah. it's just a way of like lead genning and warming them up through through an offer that's sort of the lead magnet in this case it's up to them whether you offer the discount holiday or not really on the back end to like get them across the line it is but you see the thing is as a closing tool if you've got a holiday that's you know in australia a four-day holiday anywhere you want to go or go to fiji for five days or bali for eight days if you've got something like that that's worth upwards of a thousand dollars and you've only paid you know sort of less than 10% of that, uh, and you're selling something for two or three grand with presumably the margin being about half of that, you'll give away something that you paid $97 for every day of the week. Because in the back of the head, they're going eight eight nights, that's at least $100 a night, that's 800, you know, minimum. And, and I get this two plus eight, that's like three grand worth of value. So in their head, they're doing these calculations and then they go, oh, that's a, an idiot would not accept that, right? Even in this discussion, and I'm, if someone says to me, look, what are the most powerful incentives to give away? I normally say that there's four, four of them. Don't touch anything else but for these four. Number one is holidays because they're appealing to both sexes and all ages, okay? We can't get enough holidays. Uh, whereas if you give me a microwave oven, I'll go, sorry, I've got one. I'll give you a refrigerator. I've got one for my beer in the garage and I've got one in the kitchen. I don't need another fridge. Oh, we'll give you a lawnmower. I don't need two lawnmowers. And so on it goes, right? But if you give me a holiday and I've just come back from Fiji, I'll still give you a hug and go back to Fiji. You can't get enough holidays. So that's number one. Number two is fuel discounts. That's why we're packaging up a fuel discount promotion at the moment. And uh, I won't bore you with the details, but it's pretty sexy, right? Uh, number three is um, is movie tickets. Okay, now they're not in the same league as the value of a holiday, but nonetheless, yeah, and why would those three be the top three? Is because they're appealing to both sexes and all ages. Whereas if you give me a, 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 like a lawnmower, I don't think my wife's going to be too happy about that. Yeah. Um, okay, so look, we're talking about like this this bias here. We talked about redemption rates as well. So you were telling me the other day as well that, and I found out this about gift carding, and this is why it's so lucrative. Like you know, with Bunnings or a big hardware like Walmart or whatever gives away gift cards for for Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever. Um, there's a large proportion of them that don't get redeemed. So they're getting the cash up front, and then they don't have to actually supply or um, or cost the the expense from from that so they're actually winning twice what is your take on redemption rates and is this why it's overlooked as well from a financial point of view yeah it is look um, I, I think i joked with you john like my kids i've got six millennial kids uh, so they're in their 20s and so forth but they uh, gave me last christmas a bunnings hardware gift voucher and i know your podcast listen listen to right around the world but bunnings in australia is a massive size of a football field hardware it's like a home depot kind of thing yeah exactly there. yeah and they gave me a $100 Bunnings gift voucher. I don't know what the kids were thinking. They've got a father, that's me, who's the opposite from MacGyver. I am the worst handyman in the world. I don't know what to do with a hammer or screwdriver. They've given me a $100 gift voucher for Christmas at Bunnings. They will never ever, Bunnings will never lose that money. I mean, they've, well, sorry, they've got the money, but I will never spend it, which means they've got $100 margin on that gift card. And uh, if you are a business and you don't have a gift card, get a gift card. I mean, particularly if you're dealing with B2C, uh, business to consumer, you should have gift cards because you'll find that uh, Hoyts, the theatre company here in Australia with the movie theatre company, they love them because apparently, I mean, it depends on what Google search you do, but apparently only around about 30% of gift cards are ever cashed in. Wow. I mean, that's that's a huge margin right there. I mean, that that is a huge profit margin product. Just think of any products, 60% yeah net profit margin product yeah that's pretty good to me and we're all we're all we're all lazy these days too john so therefore if you're someone like me who forgets birthdays and wedding anniversaries and this that and the other it's a good last minute present isn't it i think our 
I think Gail's birthday, my wife's birthday, was only a few weeks ago, and I'd forgotten it, of course, on the day. So it's so easy to give her a 7-Eleven gift voucher. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Is there a book that you've read recently on this topic or just generally that's really changed your thought process for the better? There was one, actually, I'm just looking under my desk here uh, because I can't remember the name of the book, but it's Dick Smith's uh, bio. And uh, Dick Smith has written it himself. And people overseas won't know who Dick Smith is, but in Australia, he's been known as like like a terrific entrepreneur, built up a very big retail chain, uh, which was computers and TVs and what have you. Uh, and he's a philanthropist because he gives a lot of his money away. Uh, but that was really interesting because Dick Smith, he's an adventurer, a bit like Richard Branson. He's always got a helicopter going around the world and all this sort of stuff. Um, but that was a very interesting book. And uh, because the thing is, is that, you know, like you just love entrepreneurs who give back. And he's such a wonderful uh, giver. Uh, so when I read through that, I thought to myself, geez, there'd be a lot of rich people out there um, who would certainly should take a leaf out of his book because he's given a lot of his money away. And on that theme, is there a favorite website resource that's your kind of go-to? It can be work or non-work related. I reckon what the, 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 um, the instituteofwow.com is just such a one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the, there's a lot the of bargains there yeah exactly yeah slip it in when you can uh the ones that i've enjoyed lately john i i, I don't think we can actually mention i don't think danmurphys.com.au but yeah most of the sort of people that i admire are people who really are a bit wacky and think outside the square and i'm not the only one i mean you know, lots of people say steve jobs and walt disney and steven spielberg and george lucas and all that sort of stuff I guess the thing that I'm hoping my six kids at one, at one stage uh, get from me, and that is I, I say to them, look, hang around with crazies. Don't hang around with normal people. Hang around who, uh, with people who say, why not? Not people who say, oh, why? Why would we do that? Um, because, John, you've been in enough boardrooms. Uh, you, know, you know that particularly with left brain thinkers, uh, you'll come up with a crazy idea uh, and say, look, why don't we give away in the Greater Building Society's instance a free holiday? Or why don't we get Seinfeld to do the advertising, which is crazy, crazy ideas for a, like a conservative bank. Um, I was blessed because within that boardroom, I had enough crazy people uh, in the management. But under normal circumstances, I'm sure if I walked into any other bank and said, let's give away a holiday with a home loan and let's get Jerry Seinfeld to do it, they would have gone, why? But why? Not why not? Hmm. Yeah, it was funny. Um, I was interviewing this guy called uh, um, Robert Daniels, who was the ex-WeWork uh, uh, CMO, now does advisory work. And yeah, really interesting guy. And he says he, he spends 20% of his entire sort of marketing budget on epic things like moonshots or however you want to phrase it. But those, those crazy things are so far-fetched that have a high risk of failure. But can sometimes work out and it's like if you're not investing at least a proportion of your budget and your resources into that then you'll never really hit massive numbers so like acknowledge the risk but also invest in it and and that's a good way of thinking about it so he gets a commitment on his budget from from bean counters they yeah. sit in the boardroom and just going oh risk 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 and 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 that's his sort of playroom if you know what i mean that keeps his team entertained as well and i think it's a good way of thinking about it like you don't have to go all in on these crazy hairbrain ideas but at least do something yeah, dedicate some resources yeah. to it. And, you know, like yeah. you said, that, that, that stuff I mentioned before, John, about the building society, I know I'm going on about that, but it was probably my biggest client over the years. And they mm. didn't see themselves as a challenger brand until I highlighted it to them. When I said, look, you're not the Coca-Cola of your industry, you're a challenger brand. And then I had to explain that to them because keep in mind they were bean counters. Uh, then they got it. They went, oh, okay. And as a challenger, I said, look, use what Virgin did. When Virgin Airlines came to Australia, Qantas, of course, had been here for a million years. Their campaign, courtesy of Richard Branson being a bit cheeky, their campaign was keep the air fair. 
Now, it's F-A-R-E, but we know what they were saying. They were inferring, yeah. of course, that Qantas have been ripping us off all these years. So keep the airfare. It's exactly what a challenger brand should do. You take on the Coca-Cola, but with some cheekiness and a little bit of irreverence. Tell me what you're about, what you want to promote, um, and the best way for people to contact you if they're interested. Uh, mate, look, uh, what we do more over these days than marketing consultancy is provide packaged solutions. And the reason we do that is what I said to you the other day. We found that businesses that are doing half a mil or a million dollars or even two or three million dollars normally are being run by the founder. And that founder is a very good specialist, but they don't have time to execute marketing. And so therefore, uh, where I you know, learned a lesson when I put together a 20 or 30 page marketing plan for them, a lot of them just never got to executing it because they just didn't have the time. They were too busy you know, cleaning pools or you know, advising people with their accountancy practices or opening up the shop. So what we've done now is that we've produced packages I've done for you. And the one that we've been very successful with, particularly now post-COVID, and that is uh, what we call Fun Escapes Holidays. So it's a, it's a website called funescapes.com.au. That's fun as in having fun, funescapes.com.au. And in America, it's called Vacations Incentive. And what it is, is that businesses can jump on those websites and they can buy 50 holidays office or 50 vacations at $97 each. And they walk away with $50,000 worth of holidays. Each one of those holidays is valued up to about $1,000. In America, it's wonderful destinations like Las Vegas and San Diego and New York and Orlando and, you know, the Grand Canyon and all that wonderful stuff. Uh, We also have it in the- New Jersey. Sorry? New Jersey. New Jersey. Sorry, that's your favorite, is it? Of course. No, that's a joke. Yeah, no, I, Skid Row, yeah, Skid no, Row I went, in LA, you know, I, I, yeah, I, great places. We, we had dinner in New Jersey one night and uh, I, just the only McDonald's restaurant I've ever seen with cages on the windows and bars and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we have it in the UK as well and there it's called uh, funescapes.co.uk. So therefore what it is is that we've uh, been able to marry up with a travel company out of the States who have access to unsold hotel rooms and uh, they actually have said to us, listen, as a marketing company, would we join forces with them, which we've done. And we've put together this, what we think is incredible, uh, holiday promotion or vacation promotion where businesses buy the 50 holidays or fast or vacations, and they give that away as a customer attraction with their refrigerator or their pool cleaning services or whatever it might be. So you can imagine, instead of a 10% discount, if I was selling a refrigerator, instead of me saying, oh, come in and buy the refrigerator off me this week and you know, I'll give you a 10% discount, in the world of Groupon, that's not going to attract anyone. No one get excited about that. But if you, for the same price, $100, let's say, $97, say, look, come in and buy a refrigerator this weekend and we'll give you a free holiday or free vacation, valued up to $1,000, it'll cost you the same as the discount, but it'll be rocket fuel. And that's what makes this so compelling. And uh, now that COVID is hopefully on the run, uh, we've just had a record month uh, because people who are in business realise it's pretty hard to get a a hotter Happy Meal toy than a free vacation. If they're interested then, um, just go to those websites and tell them that they heard about it from from this conversation. Yep. You know, it's all about the offer, making that attractive, has wide appeal. Yeah. Everybody is stressed with their jobs. Everybody wants to go on a holiday. So, like, why not? If you can get it at a great rate and incorporate it in a way that doesn't devalue your offering, then, like, why not is the question. Because everyone looks at this and says it's too good to be true. I understand that. When I looked at it, you know, two years ago when we got the license to run this, I said to the travel company, oh, this can't be true. This is too good to be true. And they said to me, look, you've got to understand, outside of school vacation periods, these 
four star, they're all four star hotels, by the way. So you're talking good hotels, they're not caravan parks. They, they said, look, you don't understand is that outside of school vacations period, these hotels were all running at about about 30% vacancy every night. So three out of every 10 rooms tonight outside of school vacation are going to sit there. They may as well put a freebie in there and they make the money out of food and beverage. So they're hoping that whoever stays there is free, will spend money in the cafe and the restaurants and room service and cocktails by the pool and a massage and all that sort of stuff. Or t- and two more nights or something and make it a whole weekend, week holiday. Well, they could. I mean, look, in Australia, it's three nights and four days and New Zealand's the same. In Fiji, it's four nights. And in uh, Bali and uh, Th- Th- Thailand, it's it's uh, it's seven nights. In America, it's three nights in England. It's also, I mean, we're talking, you know, in the UK instance, they've got Portugal and Spain and Amsterdam Amsterdam and London and France and you name it. It's, it's a quite incredible global product. And the hotels are happy to do it because they're only filling unsold rooms with a freebie who they hope will spend money on food and beverage. And the big, big, big thing, John, that I have to highlight because it's the first question everyone asks you, there are no timeshare presentations. So when you give these to your customers and they go to that hotel, wherever they might choose around the world, they won't be locked in a room with a timeshare presentations. These hotels are not timeshare. They're not interested in that. They just want to fill empty rooms when, you know, 40 weeks of the year they've got 30% vacancy and hope that whoever stays there is going to spend money on food and beverage. Yeah, I've, I've accidentally walked into one of those timeshare things and never again. I avoid them like the plague. So that's great. Okay, what if someone wants to contact you directly? What's the best method to get in contact? Just uh, email me at john at theinstituteofwow.com. Okay, so there's no AU. It's just john at theinstituteofwow.com. And uh, the website is is the instituteofwow.com. If you're interested in the holiday thing, probably that's, yeah, I mean, if anyone's listening to this and they feel that that might be something that's pretty sexy for their business, just go to funescapes.com.au or in America, go to vacations, plural, vacationsincentive.com. Thanks for your time, John. It was a really fascinating chat. Hopefully that opened up some people's minds to, you know, this channel and the, you know, maybe they've got some thoughts running around about what I can offer my customers and package into the offering. So thanks again for the chat. I really enjoyed it and uh, hope to talk again soon. My pleasure, John. Thank you. Okay, and that was another episode that forms part of our promotional series or growth traction lever series. Officially, this is the sales promotion episode, and we're doing mostly these from now on, now that I've covered most of the areas of core strategy, so you can look forward to lots more of these. Thanks again for following. As always, if you have any feedback or comments, let me know. DM me on Twitter, DM me on LinkedIn, send me an email, join my reverse newsletter, I don't know, comment on some YouTube clips on the Hybrancy YouTube page, whatever you want to do. If you've got some ideas or some people you think I should speak to, I'm all easy is otherwise remember to give a follow review this podcast uh, give it a like turn on the notification bell all that hoo-ha to make sure that the next time an episode drops you're alerted to that Uh, we've got some really interesting bigger speakers coming up in the works as well so lots to look forward to and i'll be uploading these full versions on youtube in the coming weeks if you have a chance just google and search for chris and yaniv y-a-n-i-v and their podcast the startup podcast but that's all for now thanks for listening